do worship excellently. I have endeavored to do teaching excellently, and we have done that impeccably, I believe, in my opinion. And, 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 and what we want to do, in, in mine and Jason's heart and, and Dane's heart, we, we all got together and we spoke of how we're going to do Sunday evening service. Uh, how are we going to do it? It, it? What's going to happen? What is it going to look like? What is Sunday evening service? What is the overall goal? Okay. Now, obviously, the overall goal is to glorify Jesus. Okay. We are never going to come. I, I promise you, as long as I am teaching this Bible study, we will never compromise on teaching the word of God and it proclaiming Jesus' glory. Okay. You can assure that. I can, I can absolutely promise you that we will never deviate from the word of God, okay? So that's one thing that I can promise you on Sunday evening. Another purpose for this Sunday evening service is to establish a culture of worship, okay? And this is my heart. This is my heart personally. We had an event called Lifted. It was for the Conejo Valley, and it was a few months back, and it was establishing this culture of worship in the Conejo Valley, Now, this is a small Sunday evening service, but what our hope is for this Sunday evening service and and why we have a full band and why we do communion and why we do all of what we do is because we are trying to establish a culture of worship in our congregation. Okay. My goal for this specific time on Sunday nights is to establish a culture of worship that will bleed into the Sunday morning service. We want to establish a culture of worship where we raise our hands and we praise God without any chains, without worrying about peer pressure, without worrying about anything but just worshiping the God that we adore. And there's another thing that, that God put on my heart while we were doing worship. And, and, and later on when I was on the car uh, driving, driving home from uh, uh, teaching at the ranch church. And, and this is one thing God put on my heart. And he said, Zach... You need to evangelize, okay? And this is one thing that he put on my heart, and, and this is one thing as a Sunday evening team, because, you know, sometimes we have more than this, sometimes we have less than this, but w- who we have right here is the core Sunday evening service, okay? You are all always faithful to attend, and I can promise you something, because this is something, for someone who goes to church, this is always sometimes a fear. The fear is if they bring a friend, oh, the, the message might not be, you know, uh, geared towards a new belief, uh, somebody who's new to the church, somebody who doesn't know God. I'm afraid that maybe they'll be turned off by certain things. I want, I want to promise you something. If you are faithful to bring unbelievers here, I will do a call to Christ every single time. Okay? We are all believers in here. I have had conversations with every single one of you. We all love Jesus. I want this evening service to be one where new believers come in, they experience God through worship, and I can assure you, if you say, Zach, I'm bringing a non-believer, I'm bringing a couple friends, they don't know the Lord, I will promise you something. The message will be geared towards the glory of Christ and his redemptive power, and I will do a call to Christ. Is that, are we in agreement here? So, so then it's the balls in your court, right? If you are faithful to bring non-believers or people who are struggling, I will be faithful as your preacher to present the gospel in a saving manner. Does that make sense? Without further ado then, let's get into the word, all right? Ephesians chapter 1. We're deviating a little bit uh, from our chronological study. Raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. 
We usually do uh, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ in chronological order. Last time we learned about the call of the disciples and what we're going to be doing, not next week because we have off, but then the following week, we are going to be starting uh, a new series on the Sermon of the Mount, starting with the Beatitudes. And we're going to be going very slowly through the Beatitudes, and then we're going to blast through the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be a fun time. But what I want uh, tonight, it's a, it's a special night because this is uh, my favorite passage in all of Scripture. Uh, some of my friends, they know that because I, I ramble on it a lot. Okay, I, I used to lead a college group for Calvary Chapel Malibu with these two were there, and I would always ramble on about Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Uh, it is my favorite passage in all of Scripture. I believe it is, it is one of the most uh, Christ-centered passages, but it's, it's, it's one of those passages where it's, it's Christ-centered, but it's, it's about us. And so it, there's a weird paradox that goes in with, uh, with this, and we're going to be learning about identity issues. And so on Sunday nights... Uh, we're going to be continuing next, uh, next service on the Sermon on the Mount. But let's go through Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And will you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, uh, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood for forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Lord, we love you. God, and I pray that you would speak to us through your word, Lord. As every Sunday night service, I pray, Lord, that these people would be refreshed at the end of their day, Lord, by your word. And God, that your revelation, Lord, and that your, uh, your wisdom towards them, Lord, would, would break chains tonight. We love you, Lord, and it is in your holy name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. So, the title of this sermon is Identity Issues. And, and, and I, I confess to having many different types of identity issues. You see, because if we look at really what identity is, and, and this is not the, 
the dictionary definition. However, this is what I would, I would define identity as. And I, I think you would all agree with me that identity is the fact of being who and what we are. Right? I, identity is the fact of being who and what we are. Okay, And our sense of identity and self-understanding, un- the way we understand ourselves to be and the way others perceive us as, that affects everything. That affects every single facet of our lives. The way we view ourselves and the way others view us affects every single action that we take, every single step that we take. This whole concept of identity, it, it, it builds everything that we do. It builds everything that we are. It is the foundation. Our, our identity and who we are, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, our identity is that foundation. Who we see ourselves as and who others see us as. And some of you who are seasoned Christians, you're like, no, no, Christ is our foundation. You're getting ahead. We're going to get to that. You see, some of us build our identities on what we are. Okay, a lot of us are like, I am a student. I'm an employee of this company. I am an owner of this company. I am a mother of so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm a father of so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm a husband. I am a wife. I am good-looking. I, I, I am, you know, all the, I am bad-looking, okay? I, I am a talented musician, okay? We, we define ourselves uh, many times on, on, on what we perceive ourselves as. Maybe I'm, like, I'm a surfer. I'm a soccer player. Okay, we identify, I'm a mother, I'm a father. We identify ourselves by, by, by certain titles. Okay, but many times uh, some of us also build our identities on what we are not. Many of us are like, I am a good mother. Some of you are, I am not a good mother. I am good look. I am not good looking. Uh, we build our identities on these thir- certain things. I, I am not very talented. So, so many times we build our identity on the fact of what we have and what we are or what we do not have and what we are not. Both equally dangerous. You see, because if I build my identity on what I have, when that leaves me, my identity is shattered. When I build my identity on the concept of maybe being uh, a, a youth minister, if I build my, my identity on the, on the fact of maybe I am uh, in a relationship with so-and-so, or I am married to so-and-so, when that leaves, if that leaves, God forbid, identities are shattered. We see this in, in women who put their identity in their good looks. <laughs> Gravity starts to kick in. <laughs> Right? You see these women all their lives put their identity in their good looks and then gravity kicks in. And what do they try to do? They desperately try to plastic themselves up. It's weird. But it's an identity issue. There are many men who, who had, all their lives have put their identity in what they do in sports, perhaps. The glory days. But then that shatters, that ceases to exist. And then they have an identity issue and they're constantly reminiscing on what was and not what is now. Because their identity is still in that past thing. You see, this determines how we feel about ourselves. It it, it honestly determines a worthiness. Doesn't it? You see, if our identity is in our good looks, then our worthiness is based 
on how good looking we are. If, if our identity is based on how well we can preach or how well we can articulate the Bible even. What happens when there's somebody smarter than us? Yeah, our identity is a little shaken up. What happens when somebody's better than you? Or what happens when you realize that what you would put your identity in is kind of messy? We see this, I, I see this in youth ministry with relationships a lot. They put their identities completely and solely into one person. And then shattered. Completely shattered. Their identities are shattered after that. Their sense of belonging, our sense of belonging is always going to be circling around this concept of where our identity lies. If my identity lies within my family, then my sense of belonging, my sense of self-satisfaction, my sense of comfortability will always be within the boundaries of my family. But what happens when my family shatters? What happens when a mom or a dad or a sibling lets me down? My identity is then shattered a little bit. What happens when, when the foundation that we have built turns out to be weak? A sense of not only insecurity, but a sense of unworthiness will, will pop up. Specifically, it's with women and their looks and men with their abilities. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to generalize, but that is what generally happens. Women will, will put their identity in, in how they look, and then men will put their identity on how people think, how well people think they do. But there is a difference between fitting in and belonging. You see, when our identities are in things that are temporal, when our identities are in things like looks or abilities, when our identities are in things like education, when our identities are in things like family or friends, when our identities are in things on how social we are, in media, the internet, when, whatever it may be, when our identities are rooted in these things, we will, we will guaranteed conform ourselves to fit it. Without a doubt, we will. If we are trying to fit in into a certain type of people group, it may even be church. It may even be church. It may even be your Christian community. You may be trying to fit into your Christian community, but you will never belong. When we are trying to conform ourselves to fit a certain people group, to fit a certain clique, to fit a certain uh, identifying concept, identifying ability, identifying activity. When we are trying to conform ourselves and change ourselves to fit a certain uh, look, a certain persona, or a certain people group, that is a sign that your identity is not rooted in Christ. That's a good sign. That you have issues that you need to work out. You have identity issues. Because we will find that there is a difference between fitting in and belonging. You see, fitting in is conforming yourself to be accepted. Belonging is being accepted just for who you are. There's a distinct difference in this. 
And, and, and it's my problem. It is my fear most of the time. And this may not be uh, the issue with you, but it is my problem most of the time where I try to fit in into my Christian community, where I will try to conform myself into my Christian friends and my, and my Christian coworkers and my Christian uh, family. Many times I will change who I am. I will change the way I speak. I'll change the way I even do humor just to be accepted into a certain lens. Just to be accepted. But that's not belonging. You see, and to know our identity, we have to know the person who gave us our identity. And that is Christ, correct? That is God. We have to look at the creator of all things, including our identities, and and the author of our identities, and the one who marks us. And we see that that is God. And we learn in Isaiah chapter 2. We learn in Isaiah chapter 2, it says, Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. We see this concept that God is frighteningly, frighteningly holy. So holy that it's frightening. Sorry, I'm slipping up on that word. We, we see that God is incredibly holy towards the point where, where people tremble and want to hide in the dust because of how holy God is. A lot of us are like, God, just show me your face and I'll believe. No, if you saw God's face, you'd be dead. God is so incredibly holy that we cannot even hope to come into his presence because of our sinful nature. That's why we have Jesus. Jesus is the only one pure enough to enter into his presence. Jesus is the only one identified pure enough to be with God and to be identified into God's family. We often say here that that there's two different types of people. There's sinners and there's Jesus. No in between. Now because of what Christ has done for us, Because of what Christ has done for us on the cross and because he has taken on that sin and because he has risen again on the third day, because of what Christ has done for us, what is true of him is true of us as well. Because he has put our righteousness on, I mean, his righteousness on our account. He has taken his righteousness and given it to us. We are now identified as Christ is. We are now identified as Christ is. We are no longer unworthy. We are no longer dirty, ugly, clumsy, or any of that. God is merely, he has not merely forgiven us. Because that would make us morally neutral, right? Many times I cheapen the gospel. I cheapen the gospel and, and I demote it to this place where God just forgives me. Tolerates me almost. I have this cry many times, and when I worship a God that just tolerates me, when I worship a God that just merely forgives me, there's really no worship to be inspired by that because I'm just neutral here. I'm not beloved. If God just forgave you, then there's really no sense in the Christian life. You're just morally neutral. You're just walking in a place where where you're not condemned. We know that there's a difference between love, between being loved and tolerated, right? 
There's a big difference between being tolerated, just somebody saying, okay, it's okay that you're here. It's okay that you can come into heaven or being loved. We're, oh my gosh, I cannot wait for you to come over here. I can't believe that you're here. This is amazing. There's a distinct difference. And I cheapen the gospel so many times where I think God just forgives me. But that's totally not true. Totally not true. And and we see here in verse 3, it says, Blessed be God, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The first thing that Christ, through Christ, what, what we identify ourselves as is blessed. This is what God has deemed you as. When, when you said, yes, Jesus, I want you in my heart. Jesus, I want your righteousness. Lord, I want to have a relationship with you. The first thing that God gives you is his blessedness. You get to share in the blessings of Christ. God has called us blessed because of the cross of Christ. Our spiritual depravity is now gone and all blessings in heaven that were Christ's are now ours. A lot of the times we identify ourselves on the things that we do not have or the things that we do have. I have this amount of money, this amount of cash flow, this much much invested in my retirement. Or we identify ourselves on what we do not have. I'm a poor college student. I ain't got nothing. Uh, my, My family's going through hard financial times right now. We are struggling. Everything that is Christ is yours. Everything that God has stored up in heaven to bless his son with is now yours. Everything. It says Every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In Christ. And then we see that the next thing in verse 4, we are chosen. He says, just as we ch- he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This whole concept of being undesirable, wipe it away. I'm speaking to someone specifically. I don't know who it is, but you feel so undesirable. And and God is saying, I wanted you all along. Before the foundation of the world, before I laid out the entire heavens and the entire earth, I chose you and I wanted you. This whole concept of being undesirable. Nobody wants me. Nobody nobody cares about me. that, That is swept totally out. Because of the cross. This whole concept of being undesirable or not wanting is completely obliterated under the cross of Jesus Christ. Because what type of man would die for a person he does not want? Tell me that. What type of savior would die for someone he really doesn't even care about? You are desired. You are loved. You are wanted. You have always been wanted. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Paul would later on say in Ephesians that you are his poema, his poem. You are his poem. You are God's poem, his workmanship. He is working on you and not only working on you, you're you're not a chair. 
You're a poem. You're a piece of art that God is pouring into and refining for his glory. It's a beautiful thing to be chosen. Not only chosen. I mean, someone could be chosen, yeah, one out of two people. Uh, you or you. No, you were chosen before anyone ever existed. That's how wanted you were. God was anticipating the day he died for you with joy. We see next that we are adopted. It says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Before the entire world was spoken into existence, God was anticipating that he would have you in his family. Some of you are thinking that God tolerates you in your sin, that that God just tolerates you, that you're one child that, that, that couldn't match up to big brother Jesus, right? You see, this is many times what I think, and I think this is actually the perspective of the world many times, and this is actually what I've noticed being in a public college and talking to people about Jesus and their perspective. Being in a secular college, it really opens your eyes to certain things. And I've noticed that the perspective of Jesus is they do not deny his holiness. And none of them do. None of them, none of them deny the fact that Jesus was probably perfect. Very few college-age students that I have talked to and professors deny the fact that Jesus was a pretty awesome guy. That, that Jesus was perfect. That Jesus is awesome. What they have an issue with is that Jesus sets this standard that they can never meet. And that they're like, yeah, yeah, but, like, but you're saying I have to be like Jesus? Like, how, how, can, how can God ever love me when there's Jesus right there being perfect? How, how, how can God really accept me? How can God really want me in his family when he's obviously got a perfect son already? And this comes from the mindset of the world. Because many times it is merit that earns love in the world. A lot of times it's what we do that earns somebody's affections. And this is why we're like, well, Jesus did more than us. Jesus was more holy than us. Jesus was more perfect than us. And obviously he's going to get all the attention. He's going to get all the love from God. And I'm not going to get any of it. Yeah, I get to be that adopted son. But really, I'm just the weird stepchild. That, that's, that tends to be what I've noticed from talking with people. That's, that is the perspective here. But it says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory and of his grace. We think that we're that awkward middle child that can never make daddy proud sometimes. I can never make anyone proud. Never make anyone proud. It says, according to the good pleasure of his will, that you were chosen and adopted. Meaning that when God adopted you, he's like, you can't match up to Jesus, but yet you're into the family. No, it was to the good pleasure of his will, you were chosen as an adopted child in God's family. Meaning that you have a special place in God's heart. A lot of the times we think, yeah, we're all meshed up into this one uh, cosmic church, right? 
Uh, we, sometimes we, I feel like we get lost in the capital C church where we're like, yeah, we're all part of God's body. He has accepted all of us and he loves us all as a whole. But many times I often forget about the specific love that God has for me. Because A, I, I look at everyone else, I'm like, they're, they're way better than me. And B, I limit God. I limit God to saying, yeah, he can love the entire church as a whole, but no way he can love me specifically. He's got way too many people to worry about. That's denying God's sovereignty. It says that before the foundation of the world, he, he chose us to adopt us and bring us into his family by Christ. And we're like, I can never match up to Jesus. Good. He's going to take Jesus's righteousness and he's going to put it on you. And you look like Jesus to him. You look like Jesus to him. You look like Christ to him. All of Christ's righteousness, all of Christ's good. He bled and died so that you might have that. We're not morally neutral. We are identified as Christ's. Accepted in the beloved, not tolerated, accepted. Not tolerated, accepted. Fitting in is changing yourself to fit into a certain people group. And being accepted is to be chosen, chosen just for who you are. To be chosen just because he loves you. And then we have that we're redeemed. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. What does it mean to be redeemed? The word redemption in Greek is apolytrosis. Apolytrosis. It, it signifies a releasing of an effect, uh, a releasing affected by a payment or ransom. Some of us know the story of Hosea and Gomer. I'm going to say it again. There's Hosea, a prophet. Godly man, man of character, a god of merit, a guy, a guy of merit. He was a prophet, he was esteemed, he was respected, and he was chosen by God to proclaim God's word. But God also said something else. He said, I want you to marry a prostitute. I want you to take Gomer, a prostitute, and I want you to take her as your wife. I want you to take her as your wife, knowing full well that she'll leave you, that she'll cheat on you. And then she does. Gomer, Hosea's wife, leaves him. Leaves him for other men who would give her money, who would give her uh, perfumes, give her nice food. And then, and then Hosea is like, all right, come back. And then she leaves again to another man. And then to another man. And then eventually she, she is so consumed with her own sin that she's actually literally sold into slavery. And she's being bitted up as a prostitute. And all these sick dog-like men are bidding on her. There's so many dogs wanting you. There's so many wolves out there wanting to consume you. But then, then Hosea comes up and he sees his wife up there. The wife that's left him. The wife that's cheated on him. The wife that's lied to him. The wife that's stolen from him. And he looks at her up on that pedestal. She's probably naked. Up there holding a sign with a price up. And Hosea looks at her and he doesn't see her. As this wretched, dirty, undesirable woman who has left him and lied to him. Good riddance. He says, I'll buy her. 
Hosea, Hosea sees Gomer and he says, I'm going to buy her. I want her still. And that's what Jesus does for us. You see, we're up here naked. And, and, and we're, we're covered in sin. And there's a price to be paid. And there's dogs wanting us. And, and then God comes in and he says, I want you still. I still want you. I will come back for you again and again and again and again. And I will not relent until I have your heart. And, and, and so that's, that's this whole concept of being redeemed is that there's a price. And Jesus paid it. Happily and joyfully. A lot of the times I, I, I get into this whole rut where I, I feel so bad. I just feel bad because, you know, and I feel like a lot of sermons are just huge guilt trips because I'm like, oh, Jesus did all this great stuff and I'm still a terrible person. Like, I, I, I just, I'm so bad no matter what, no matter how hard I try, like, it's just, I, I still suck. No matter, at the end of the day, yeah, Jesus bought me again and again, but I just, sometimes I just feel bad for Jesus. I feel bad for Jesus because I just keep screwing up. But then I realized Jesus loves it. And that's weird to think about. But Jesus loves us so much that he, he, he does it again and again and again. And he accepts my repentance and he forgives me again and again with a joyful heart. Just as the man uh, who had lost his son and his son, he's like, give me my inheritance. And he left. And he squandered it all on drugs and women and, and alcohol. And he had to sleep with the pigs and he came back just ashamed. And his father was so stoked. And, and, and this, this shepherd lost one sheep and he threw an entire celebration just because he found his one sheep again. He got all of his friends together and threw a huge party just because one out of a hundred sheep came back. Realize that, that, that God loves your repentance, okay? He doesn't love it when we mess up, obviously. But he, he accepts your repentance with joy in his heart. This is something I have a hard time with because sometimes I'll just let my guilt build because I love God so much. Many times when I sin against him, I just feel bad. I just feel like I hurt God's feelings again. And I did. But God accepts me back with joy. And then we see that, that God makes us involved. And we see this in verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the uh, fullness of uh, times, he might gather together in, in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Listen, we are brought into the plan of God. This is something unique to Christians. This is something unique to you believers. We are brought into the cosmic plan of God. We are brought into this, this, this club, if you will, where we have this secret knowledge. We have been, uh, the mystery has been revealed to us. Many people spend their entire lives, years and years, maybe spending money and spending time trying to realize what is my purpose in life? What, what's the reason? Uh, Philip, 
philosophers everywhere have, have, have spent their entire lives trying to figure out what, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning? It, it, college professors. We have business, we have, we have president, every, everyone is trying to wrap their heads around what is the meaning of life. And this, if you ask anyone in the world, um, there are, you'll get thousands of different answers. What is the meaning of life? Why are we here? What's, what's the point? And, and many of us as Christians, sometimes we don't have that answer. Well, it's arbitrary, you know, I mean, there's many different interpretations and philosophy majors, they, they spend their entire careers trying to figure out this one concept. What is the meaning of life? And God has given us the distinct privilege of giving that, that answer in one word, Jesus. That's it. It says right here that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Meaning that we are brought into the plan of God that is bringing everything together for Christ's glory. We are given a purpose and that is to be the, to the praise of his glory. What is the meaning of life? It is to know Jesus and to be to the praise of his glory. If you have any friends that are like, yeah, well, the meaning of life, you know, it's, it's kind of a question that, that remains to be unanswered. No, it's answered. This is it. It's to know Jesus and to be the, to the praise of his glory. That is the meaning of life. That is why we're here. You just found your destiny. That is it. For the rest of your life, you will know your goal. Not many people can say that. Think about how many of your friends can actually say that, that they have one goal that they know will always be there for the rest of their entire lives and beyond their lives. I have a purpose, I know exactly what it is, and I know exactly how to do it. That's it. it just, I just made life so much more simple for you, okay? It doesn't matter what you do. As long as you know Jesus and that you are to the praise of his glory, it doesn't matter what car you drive, it doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter how your living conditions are, it doesn't matter how good-looking or ugly or stupid or smart you are, it, it, it doesn't matter. None of it. You have a purpose in life now. You know what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. Go do it. Because you have been given this mystery. It has been revealed to you, and it's not revealed to many people. Take advantage of it. You just found out what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. What you were born to do. That's what you were born to do. Many people find this one job and they're like, I was born to do this job. Well, yeah, maybe. But you were born to know Jesus and you were born to be to the praise of his glory. That is it. And that is where, that's, that's where we fall under this identity we, we're not only identified as adopted, as redeemed, as accepted, as beloved, as blessed, but we are also given this higher purpose in life that not many people can say that they have. And then this is the last one. I'm going to end with this. Sealed. Sealed. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. This is the seal of authenticity. It's like a package that requires a seal in order to be opened. This is like a letter that has been sent. 
and you know who sent it. There's a specific seal. It is an identifying seal, a seal to confirm beyond a doubt that this, is, this possession belongs to this person. It is a stamp of approval. It is a stamp of approval. God sends his precious gift of the Holy Spirit to prove to you and everyone around you that you are his and nobody can snatch you out of his hands. This is, this is what, this is what literally seals the deal. Okay. Under all of our identity, we are accepted. We are beloved. We are blessed. We are redeemed. We are purchased. We are, we are brought in to the big plan of God. We are given a purpose and under all of it is the seal of the Holy Spirit. Everything is brought under the seal of the Holy Spirit. It is a guarantee. It is a guarantee that God has you and he's not letting you go. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay my life down for my sheep. And the other sheep I have, which are not in this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. A sheep who put their identity in hirelings. Sheep who put their identity in looks. Sheep who put their identity in abilities. Sheep who put their identity in their families and their friends. Sheep who put their identities in things that are fleeting, not permanent, will be scattered when the wolves come. Will be devoured when the wolves come. We are not sheep that are being taken care of of somebody who's paid to do it. Where we're not sheep who, who have a shepherd, a hireling that is not invested in us. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I will lay my life down for my sheep. The foundation is shaky when us as sheep put our identities, put our trust in things that are fleeting. Religion can be one of them. Church can be one of them. Bible studies can be one of them. It's true. I've experienced it. When we put our identities in these things, when something happens, when wolves come or, or, or when there's a storm, it all shatters underneath us and we have an identity crisis. We don't know what to do. But those who put their trust in the good shepherd, it says later on in verse 28, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And I and my father are one. Jesus says this, and this is, this is it. Jesus says this, I have you in my hand. You are precious. You are beloved. I love you more than anything. You are a jewel. You are beautiful. And you are in my hand 
And the hands that hold the entire universe are mine. And if I can't let the universe go, if I'm not going to let the universe go, I'm not letting you go. I'm not letting you go. So many times I put my identities in hirelings, people that don't put any value on me. If you realize how Christ has not only identified you, but others as well, that'll affect every facet of your life, including the way that you treat people. Do you see people as that? Like, like this, this is some, something that I have a hard time with sometimes. Where I'll be annoyed with someone, or, or really I'll mistreat somebody, and then I'll come to this realization where Christ died for that person. And this is why gossip is the worst This is why gossip is the worst, because you're identifying somebody as something, but God is the one who identifies them, not you. Many times I identify people in a certain way, or at least in my heart I'll identify them as such. Unworthy, I'll identify them as not doing something right, or I'll identify them as dirty or as not worthy of just being in Jesus's or let alone my presence. But God has identified them. And so if I can realize my identity in Christ, but also realize others' identity in Christ, that will affect the way I do ministry. That'll affect the way I make friends. That'll affect the way I treat people in general. When I realize that Christ didn't just die for me. He died for that person as well. And that person has struggles just as much as I do. That person is hurting just as much as I am. We all go through life. And when I realize, man, That person must be going through some deep stuff right now. That person's identity is shattering. And he needs Christ. Or she needs Christ. So if we understand our identities in Christ, and we understand that we are held by Jesus' hands, it will affect the way we view other Christians as well. Because one thing I need a lot of work on is judging other Christians. Judging other believers. I need to realize, man, Christ died for them. And even if I were not here, Christ still would have died for them, right? A lot of times I center it all around me. Christ died for them too. And, and, and that, I want us to take that mindset into Sunday nights. This mindset that, that every single person that walks in, whether it be two people here, 20 or 50 people here, Each and every single person is identified as clean, as beloved, as accepted, and as beautiful in God's sight. And we are to reflect that glory to the praise of his name. We are to reflect who we are and the way we identify ourselves in our act of worship. And I would encourage you as well, and this is something that we established in our junior high group, Pray for one another. I can, I can put a prayer team up here. I could. You know, we can be like, all right, all right, let's have a prayer team up here. But if you know you need prayer, turn to the person next to you and ask them to pray for you. I'll be back there for prayer. Pastor Brett will be here for prayer. But if you're going through something, pray with the person next to you. Let's establish a community of worship and a community of prayer on Sunday nights. Amen. Lord, we love you. God, and I pray as we go into this final time of worship, Lord, that that we would worship from a place of knowing who we are. We are accepted.
We are blessed. We are beloved. We are redeemed. We are bought by you, Jesus. And you do it all gladly, Lord. You do it and you love it. You love to redeem us. You love to bless us. You love to accept us. You don't just tolerate us. You love to adopt us. You want us in your family, Lord. And so I pray, God, that we would experience that joy and we'd experience how amazing that feels to have the God, the creator of the universe, absolutely adore us. And God, we adore you for that. We love you because you first loved us, God. And so, Lord, I pray as we take communion, God, I pray as we worship, I pray as we pray, Lord, that we do all these things under the foundation, uh, which is our identity, Lord, which is you, Jesus. So, God, I pray that you bless this time of worship. I pray that we'd worship without any fear of being judged, God. I pray that we'd be real here tonight in this time of worship, Lord. Uh, We wouldn't kid ourselves, God, but just unhinged worship you, Lord. Love these people here tonight, Lord. God, and just let them know that you love them so much, Lord. And you think they're beautiful, Lord. And so we we pray these things in Jesus' holy and undeniable name. Amen. Communion's here if you want it. People are here for prayer if you want it. But let's worship. Amen. of every blessing till my heart to sing thy grace streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise and teach me some melodious sonnet some my favorite songs of praise about some fixed upon him about to God's unchanging love and here I raise my Ebenezer hither by thy help I come and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home and Jesus sought me when a stranger 
sing, come thou fountain. Come thou fount of every blessing. Till my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet. Some my favorite songs above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it. Mount of God's unchanging love. would you soften our hearts now, God? Lord, would you take our dry bones, Lord, and give us life this, this, this night, God? Lord, take our hardened hearts and give us soft ones, Lord. Father, we surrender. You can take my dry bones Breathe life into the skin You called me by name You raised me to life again You can call the ocean Listen to my soul Take me as I am Awaken my heart to be I said and sing, you pray.